0: Happy Father's Day, we get one day, then we're back to 364 for the women, right? How many fathers are out there anyway? Raise your hands. No more contests, but okay. How many fathers who raised your hand have gray hair? If you didn't raise your hand, it's on its way. It'll be gray or falling away, one of the two. This morning, um, I want to speak about fathers. And um, I've been a father for quite a number of years. For, I think, this year will be 44 years. I'm old. But I learned a lot of things being a dad, being that father. I've made a lot of mistakes. And one of the things I learned over all the years raising my kids is that when I tried to force or try to teach them because I know what they were doing might have been wrong there was always rebellion got it right and the thing is that I found out after a while that I had to come to a point realizing that I'm unable to change my kids I'm unable to do it and God had to show me especially with the guys that my daughters were dating that came close to guns and things. The one thing I did remember, though, is that when I prayed and I said, Lord, I am unable, when I actually got to the point of saying, I can't do what I need to do that my daughters would change, and I relinquished this whole thing to the Lord, and the Lord began to show me, he says, I love your kids more than you do. You need to trust me. And that's what I ended up doing. And I began to sense these changes uh, in my kids and got to see that God was in control. And it took the burden off me and it was now on, my ki- on, on God for my kids. And he doesn't fail us. Raising kids are no easy task. Our children, no matter how good they are, at times they're going to cause you sorrow and grief. Do you agree? We all sense that. You watch them make bad choices. You try to steer them in the right direction, but sometimes to no avail. It grieves us for one reason. We know stuff that they don't know. You know what we know? We know that the outcome of this choice is going to bring pain to them. And this pain is not just to them it's to us and family members because it causes that grief it's because we love them because you know what they see what's right in front of them that's the only thing they see is right now and this is what i want to do and this is what i want to do to satisfy my desires that thing that's just in front of them has caused them to do this how do we know this because we did the same things I've done stupid things in my life and I realize that it caused me pain and I, had, I reaped the ramifications of my stupid decision and I don't want my kids to do that very thing. Here lies the problem. There is a lack of respect, of authority, us being fathers and even mothers. I'll throw you in today for no extra charge. So... There is this lack of respect because they think they know better than you. They think at times that you don't know anything because they have a better way of doing things. But God's word says, honor your mother and your father for you will have a long life. That's a pretty good promise. Respect, esteem, and obedience is what we want as fathers and mothers. You see, the reason why we feel this way is because we love them. I love my daughters. I would do anything for them. But the thing is, is that when we come to the point of realizing that God is in control, that helps out immensely. I say all this to say this one thing. I don't want to teach us today how to be good fathers. But I want to talk about how Heavenly Father. This is the thing that's most important. Most important for this life that we are living here. You see, our relationship to our Father, we have to get to the point of realizing He knows everything. He doesn't make mistakes. And that's why we need to listen to Him. He knows so much more than we know as fathers. Because, you know, we see the outcome, kind of. What's going to happen? But he sees so intently that he knows exactly the pain it's going to cause that we don't see as fathers and mothers. We don't see what it's going to be because he sees when we sin and when we do things, it messes up our psyche. We begin to think differently. We begin to walk in such a way that we, we are altered and changed because of this bad choice. And he does not want us to get in this position because of this great love for us. He knows the beginning and he knows the end. And that's why we need to trust him. I want to illustrate this today because I want to show us how we can live a victorious life and an overcoming life. Because without this thing that I'm going to share today, we will stumble and fall. I'm going to go back to the Old Testament. Most of you know me. I love the Old Testament because I like stories and I'm simple and I like to understand things. So if I hear a story, it makes them real to me. The children of Israel, we know, were slaves in Egypt. And they cried out to God, and God heard their cry. And we know how he delivered them. He delivered them by these ten plagues. And I'm not going to go into them. But he had to use this to illustrate to them. Because the very first thing that God does, he needs you to see what he has done for us. God reveals himself in this way. He shows that there's a distinction between Israel and Egypt. It is like us. There's a distinction, between those who are called and chosen are different than those who are not. If you have come to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, you, many are called, but few are chosen. If you come to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, you are chosen of God. Things change. You are no longer part of this world. None of the plagues, not one of the plagues touched the children of Israel. They lived in Goshen. They looked on from a distance and saw everything from the water turning to blood to the death of the firstborn of the Egyptians. The firstborn of their children, the firstborn of their cattle and the sheep. They were all killed. They saw all that and they came into this place. Of where they seen God. They were eyewitnesses to what God had done. God had to show them something. He had to show them that you are different. You belong to me. I have chosen you. And I treat you differently. There's this distinction that we need to see. Now listen to what it says here. If it comes on. Just give me the first slide, guys. But not even a dog will threaten any of the sons of Israel, nor anything from the person to an animal, so that you may learn, listen to what it says here, how the Lord distinguishes you between Egypt and Israel. That is what God did. He had to reveal himself that he says, you can see what I'm doing. So when they come through, and they come through the Red Sea, now they are free. And you know where they come to? It's amazing. They come to a place called Rephidim. Rephidim means rest. They no longer have to get up and be slaves to Pharaoh. They no longer have to set their alarm clock to come and work as slaves in Egypt. They were set free. They come into this place of Rephidim. They're resting. No longer slaves. This is the same with us. There comes a time when God opens our eyes to see that we are sinners, that we are slaves. Before you've come to know the Lord Jesus Christ, you are a slave to the enemy, Satan. He led you around. You had no hope. You had no strength to defeat the enemy. And he comes in and he shows you that you were a sinner and you need to be relieved relieved from this being a slave to the enemy. And then he opens our eyes to the gospel and we see that he sent his son to pay the penalty for our sins. He gives us even the faith to believe and we come into Rephidim. We come into rest. No longer Having to be led around by the enemy, you are set free. We are free. We are new creation in Christ Jesus. We are a slave to the Lord. We are a bond servant. A bond servant is one who comes to the Lord and says, even though the time of my serving you has ended I want to stay with you because you treat me so well I will be a bondservant of the Lord Jesus Christ and when you come into that you want to be part of him you want to be led by him and not by the enemy anymore they come now from Rephidim they're gonna come to a place of the wilderness of Sinai you see God has to show them something else about him he has to show them who he is right before moses receives the 10 commandments and he comes up to mount sinai he comes to this place and he speaks to the children of israel moses speaks to him can i have the next slide you yourselves have seen what i did to the egyptians and how i carried you on eagle's wings and brought you to myself the next slide now then if you indeed will obey my voice and keep my covenant then you shall be my own possession you know what that means a special treasure Among all the peoples of the earth, because the earth is mine, everything that God has and all that he created, because you were chosen of God, you are a special treasure. Out of everything he created, all the planets, the stars, and everything, but you are a special treasure to God. Change the slide. And you shall be a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words which you shall speak to the children of Israel. You know how the people responded? All that the Lord said we will do. Because they're set free. And now they, can, they want to do what God wants them to do. Now they're on Mount Sinai and God is going to deliver the Ten Commandments to Moses. But he has to reveal himself to them. And he says, consecrate yourselves tomorrow. And this is what this next scripture says. So it came about on the third day when it was morning that there, were, there was thunder and lightning and flashes and a thick cloud over the mountain. And a very loud trumpet sound said all the people who were in the camp trembled. And Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet God. You see, they saw what God had done. They saw all the plagues that were on the children of Egypt. But they don't really know God. They haven't seen God, so God is bringing them to the mountain. He says, guess what? Today you're going to meet him. This is how God is going to show you himself. And all the people were watching and hearing the thunder and the lightning flashes and that sound of the trumpet and the mountain was smoking. And when the people saw it, they trembled and stood at a distance. Then they said to Moses, listen to these words, speak to us yourself and we will listen but do not have God speak to us or we will die I want to I don't know if we can actually fathom this that you stand at the foot of a mountain and it's full of smoke and full of fire and the mountain itself is trembling and these people are seeing it that they're so afraid that they only want Moses to speak It says here in Exodus 20, 18 and 19, it says that the people watching, that word watching, you know what it is? They perceived. You know what perceived means? They experienced God. This next scripture here on Exodus 20, you know it's funny that this scripture is 2020. You get a clear vision right here. This is what it says. Do not be afraid, for God has come in order to test you. That word test means it's the word assay. It's the thing that they use to test metal, to see what the metal is made out of. It's the same thing. God has wanted to see these people and what they're made of. Because before he says, anything you say, we will do. But he says, do not have to be afraid, for God has come to test you in order that the fear of him may remain with you so that you may not sin that fear that has to remain with us so we don't wander off the narrow path. It sounds like Moses is contradicting himself. He says, do not be afraid. And then he says the fear that has to remain with you. There's two different things. You see, being afraid is one thing. Afraid means this um, tormenting fear because of guilt or danger. That's afraid. The only people who need to be afraid is when the End comes and you do not belong as one of the chosen, I'd be afraid. But if you've come to know the Lord, He says, this fear that remains speaks of an attitude of reverence and honor that leads to respect and obedience. You see, this fear, we see the word fear and it has a negative thing in our head. Fear means no good. I don't want want to be fearful. God is saying, yes, you do. You need to be afraid of me, a fear of me, not afraid of me, but a fear of me. This reverence and awe of who he is. And these people are seeing the mountain is on fire. And the people are shaking and trembling. That is what God wants you to be in one sense, to be in awe of his wonder and how good he is. You know, when Noah was going to build the ark and he was in the 11th chapter in the 7th verse, you know what he says? By faith, Noah, God warned them of things not seen. And listen, and in reverence, he prepared an ark for the salvation of his family. That reverence is fear. He feared God because he respected him and knew who he was. He knew that he said, yes, something is coming that you didn't see yet. And with reverence, he obeyed God and prepared the ark for the salvation of his family. When Abraham was going to slay his son because he was going to obey God, and when he was ready to slay his son and his hand was up in the air to sacrifice his son, the angel of the Lord said, Abraham, Abraham, do not harm your son or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God. This scripture says to me this, that the fear of the Lord will keep us from wandering. There is one thing we see that the Lord... We see him as this loving savior and the one who takes care of us and he comes and shows us the gospel and we see this everlasting love, this love that goes forever and ever, but we miss something. Sometimes we miss the matter of his mighty power and his omniscience and how he has wisdom. And most of all, he is holy. He is different. He is uncommon he is holy and because we belong to him and we don't see those things and we sin god cannot tolerate sin in his children and that's when we get disciplined why does he discipline us he says in god's word that he disciplines those he loves he does not want to see you suffer does not want to see you go through the pain he wants you to be obedient but you have to see that he is holy He is the same God on Mount Sinai. Today, he is the same God. He is the same holy God with power, and we need to have reverence and awe when we think of him and see him. It is so important. Do we fear God? God wants his fear to remain in us. This is a great story. In Isaiah, in the sixth chapter, it says in the, in the year that King Uzziah died, Isaiah gets his vision of God. Now, Isaiah is a prophet of God. He knows God intimately. He is God's mouthpiece, and he speaks his word to all the people. But he comes to this point, he gets this vision, and Isaiah, listen to what it says here. He sees the Lord. Seated upon the throne, high and lifted up, and his robe fills, and the train of his robe fills the temple. The seraphim are crying out, holy, holy, holy is the Lord. And the foundation of the threshold trembled at the voice of him who called, and the temple was filled with smoke. Listen to what Isaiah says when we get this scripture up here. Then I said, Woe is me, for I am ruined, because I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among people with unclean lips, for my eyes have seen the Lord. He is someone who knew the Lord. But what happens is when God brings this fresh revelation of who he is, it changes you. You know why? Because you see you for who you are, because you see God for who he is. See God, he's seen God in his holiness in the high and lifted up and seated upon the throne. And then he's seen himself. Woe is me for I am ruined. I am undone. But this fresh revelation is something we need in order to live this life and walk this walk that we are walking. It comes down to seeing God fresh and new. Even though we know the Lord, We need to have this fresh revelation of God. Listen to this guy, Matthew Henry, says this thing about that scripture. My eyes have seen the king, the Lord of hosts. He saw God's sovereignty to be incontestable. He is the king and his power is irresistible. He is the Lord of hosts. These are comfortable truths to God's people and yet they ought to strike an awe upon us. A be- listen to this last line. A believing sight of God's glorious majesty should affect us all with reverence and godly fear. I just want to go back one more step back to the children of Israel. Not many days after the mountain was full of smoke and it was on fire and they were trembling and the mountain was trembling and they wanted to do everything that God wanted to do. Not many days after that, They sinned and broke God's commandment. This is when they made the golden calf. The people were impatient. They were not spending time in the presence of God and thanking him for the redemption. And Aaron, the brother of Moses, says behold when he points to the golden calf behold the god who delivered you from egypt god must have been heartbroken at their idolatry a terrible thing that happened this is written for our benefit god's word is not just for the old it's for everyone even in the new testament about this the same god and father remember what i said before Of then is now. He is still that holy God. If we don't have this fresh revelation of the Lord in our lives, we will sin. Let's listen to some verses here. I have three verses here that I want to share with us from Psalms. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his mercy mercy towards those who fear him. The next one just as a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. You think it's important that he went in and said this two times? Well, there's a third time here. But uh, the mercy of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear him and his justice to his children's children. There's something about this matter that God is wanting to settle in our hearts about maintaining this fear of the Lord. If we don't maintain it, we will wander. Remember in Proverbs in the ninth chapter says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. You see, when we have this fear of the Lord and we are spending time with him in his presence, the wisdom of God becomes ours when we begin to see things clearly. When we get confused and not know what we're doing is because we don't maintain this matter of the fear of the Lord. But when we have it, God's wisdom comes in and points to us just like he did with my children. He showed me how. To discipline my children he showed me what to do so that i would have this wisdom that i would see clearly i want to show this thing about here's the million dollar question for us today how do we maintain this healthy fear of the lord I want to illustrate it by talking about David in the Bible. Now, with David, we talk about David and Bathsheba or David and Goliath. But today, I want to talk about a story that happened with David. Saul was king, and David was not the king yet, but he was anointed to be king after Saul. And Saul would come in from the battle, and the women in the streets would say, Oh, Saul, you've killed your thousand, but David has killed his ten thousand. Boy, did that twist that cat up, man. He was so mad at David. At times, he would try to spear him and stick him to the wall. He hated David. He was jealous of him because everyone was seeing who David really was, that God was with him and God was working in his life. And it comes down to this point where he meets up with Jonathan, Saul's son. And Jonathan says, I've talked to my dad. Guess what? He's coming to kill you. So he takes off and he goes to this town called Nob. And in this town of Nob, he comes to meet the priest, Ahimelech. And he comes to him and says, hey, I need some bread for me and my men. He says, I don't have any bread except for the showbread that's in the temple, but I can, I can give it to you because as long as your men and you are clean, you can take the showbread and you can have it. I'll replace it with new bread, fresh bread. He says, well, do you have a sword or, or a spear that I can take? He says, well, I have the sword of Goliath who you slain. It's in, behind the ephod wrapped in a cloth. So he takes the, the bread for his men and takes the sword of Goliath. But all this time, as he's talking to Ahimelech, Saul's chief shepherd was there. His name was Doag the Edomite. And when he heard all this stuff, guess what? He ratted out David to Saul. In my life, I say, snitches get stitches and end up in ditches. (laughs) So he goes... And he tells Saul all the stuff of where David is going to be. So he goes out after David. And he comes with these 3,000 men to get one guy. And he comes to this cave to relieve himself, not knowing that David's in the back of the cave. And while David is in the back of the cave, one of his guys with him says, God has given you Saul. You can take care of your enemy. This is a time. And David, because he had a heart for God, and he feared the Lord, He said, far be it from me that I should touch the Lord's anointed. And he goes and cuts the hem off of his garment without Saul knowing it and calls out to Saul later on. He says, I was there. I could have killed you, but you were God's anointed. And he said, David, you, my son, he calls him. What a little liar. He says, oh, I would would have did differently. I would have killed you if it was me. So he goes off. And not much longer after that, he goes back out for David once again. This time he brings these 3,000 men and he goes to bed at night before he's going to get David. And he sleeps with the 3,000 men all laying around him. And he's in the middle of 3,000 men. And he puts the spear at his head and a jug of water by Saul's head. And that's where it was. One of his guys said the same thing again. This is it. Time to kill Saul. He's your enemy. And he said the same exact thing. Far be from me that I should touch the Lord's anointed. But the thing that he said after that, he says, If God wants him dead, God will take care of it. He may be killed in a battle, he may just die, or I will kill him. That's what God's doing. So they go into the camp. David gets the spear in the jug of water and walks out. You know what the greatest part of the story is? It says that the Lord had caused a deep sleep to fall on all the 3,001 people. Why did God do that? Because in God's word it says, if you honor God, God will honor you. We have to honor him, respect him, be in awe of him. This is where this psalm came back, as Psalm 27, and it speaks about this. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Do you see what it says here? He is my light and my salvation. God saves us as individuals. He has to be your God and your salvation. It can't be because you grew up in a Christian home that now you think that he's your God and your light. It's not the, tr- the case. But David speaks the truth here. You are my light and my salvation. Do you notice that he doesn't say, he gives you light? He says, no, he is my light. God lives inside of us because we are chosen. And this light that he gives us opens up our eyes to see him in a clear way. And not only that, he is my salvation. All that he did with, through the, with Edomite, that Doag, the Edomite, he came and took care of him because he was his salvation. He says, whom shall I fear? The Lord is the s- defense of my life, and whom shall I dread? You know what that word means? He says, he is the strength of my life. Whom shall I dread? Next scripture. When evil doers come upon me to devour my flesh, my adversaries and my enemies, they shall stumble and fall. The next scripture. If an army encamps against me, my heart will not fear. If war rises against me, in spite of that, I am confident. You see, because he had the fear of the Lord, he feared nothing else. Because God was the one who will honor him. Listen to these next verses here. One thing I've asked of the Lord, and that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, that I may behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. There's something about being in God's presence. Back to the next verse scripture here. For on the day of trouble he will conceal me in his tabernacle. He will hide me in his secret place of his tent. He will lift me upon a rock. That rock is inaccessible. He lifts us up and places us on his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, the rock of our salvation. We are inaccessible when we are abiding in him. And now my head will be lifted up above my enemies around me. And I will offer up sacrifices in his tents and shouts of joy. And I will sing, yes I will sing unto the Lord. There's another part of that scripture, and later on it says, you said to me, seek my face, and, and David says, your face will I seek. You know that word, seek, means to strive after, to come into his presence. This striving after is pushing everything else aside. If there's sin in your life or these things in your life that get in the way of your relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ, you need to push it aside and you strive and you come to this place where God will begin to speak to you in ways that you've never heard before. That's the fresh vision I'm talking about. That's how you maintain that fear of the Lord. It is in His presence all those verses, you know what it says? In his house, in his temple, in his tabernacle, in his tent. You are in, you are living in the presence of the Almighty God. And when we do that, we have no fear of anything else because he is with you and you are with him. I find in my own life that I I yearn in the morning, I desire to get up in the morning and just come into his presence, just reading his word. And it's something that God changes my life because now I have confidence when I come in that he's going to speak to me. Now, I'm not saying, I don't want to get to the point where your wife comes down to the hall and she sees under the door there's smoke coming out and she hears lightning and thunder. It's not that. It would be pretty great if it did. But what happens is that God speaks to us and he begins to teach us and show us things that we didn't know before. And you have this reverent awe of who he is. In closing, I want to say this. Listen to these words. The fear of the Lord leads to obedience. You have this reverent awe of God. And it leads to obedience. And then this obedience leads, leads you to experience the favor and the pleasure of God. You cannot know the favor of God unless you experience the fear of God. You remember in that movie, Chariots of Fire? His sister, Jenny, was upset that he was running and not going to China to go with the family to be missionaries there. And his sister was pretty upset that he wouldn't go. And he says, Jenny, come on, let's go outside for a walk. I want to tell you something. So he takes her outside and says, Jenny, I've decided I'm going to go to China and I want to be a missionary because God has called me to be a missionary in China. And she is ecstatic. He says, but one thing I have to tell you, I got some more running to do. God didn't call me only to China, but he gave, gave me this gift of being fast. And he says, when I run, I feel his pleasure. Isn't that something? He was doing what God called him to do. And he ran, and he says, winning is honoring God because he gave me this gift. We are in that race, brothers and sisters. We are in this race. And if we are obedient... We will sense his pleasure because we're moving in the directions towards eternity. This life, as we see it on this planet now, is hard, especially what we're going through now with all the economy and all that stuff. If we are not spending time with him and experience the fear of the Lord, we will stumble and fall because we're going to lean on our own strength and we're not going to make it. We have to have this, maintaining the fear of the Lord. And in closing, I'll say this. We can't live on past experiences all the time. Talk about things that God did to us three and four years ago. And and we live on those experiences. God has so much more for us to experience. So much more that he wants to do for us. And we have to come into this place of being with him. Knowing that you and I cannot make right decisions. Apart from being in his presence. And as Alistair Begg says these words. God the Father desires Us to see our poverty, in order that we might bow down in awe at the wonder of His provision. I want to say it one more time. God, the Father, desires to see our poverty. He wants us to see that we are in need, that we might bow down in awe at the wonder of His provision. This song that I used to sing when I was a kid, and I'm not singing, so don't get nervous. <clears throat> but I love this song. We sang this so many times when I was a kid growing up. Not a kid, when I, was, I came to know the Lord when I was in my 20s. And this song speaks a lot what we're talking about today. It says, you are beautiful beyond description, too marvelous to, for words, too wonderful for comprehension, like nothing ever seen or heard. Who can fathom the depth of your wisdom or the depth of your love you are beautiful beyond description, majesty enthroned above. This is what this says. I stand, I stand in awe of you. I stand, I stand in awe of you. Holy God to whom all praise is due, I stand in awe of you. We come to a place now where we know that it's important for us to maintain this fear of the Lord. And all it comes down to is his being in his presence. Desire to be with him because he wants to show you things that you've never seen before. He wants to reveal himself. We're going to have all of eternity because he is so deep, so many facets of the Lord Jesus Christ, and we will know him in a better way when we spend time in his presence. And then you will sense his favor. Let's pray. Lord, we just thank you for your written word. We thank you, Lord, for all that you do for us, Lord. We don't only see your love and your care for us, Lord, but we see that you are mighty and powerful and that you are holy. And we want to be in your presence, Lord, so that we may know you deeper and better, so that, Lord, this life, this race that we are on, we will run in such a way that we will be the winner of that race, Lord. And it's only by your strength And in Christ's name we pray these things. Amen.